Welcome to the Self-Made Mind Podcast. We'll be bringing you real-life, honest conversations with some of the world's elite performers, from sporting athletes to millionaire CEOs and everyone in between. Success leaves clues. And it's now our mission to deliver these stories so you can start writing your own self-made script. Hello guys, welcome to another episode of the Self-Made Mind podcast. We've got another special guest with us today. His name is Andy Welsh. Uh, he's an ex-Premier League footballer, a business owner and football manager now. He's made over 300 professional appearances throughout his career uh, at clubs such as Sunderland, Leicester City, Yeovil and even a spell in Canada for Toronto FC. So uh, please welcome Andy Welsh. Okay, everyone all right? All good. good. Right, mate. Let's have a little journey through through your own personal experiences. Then. Can we take it back to your childhood, Welsh, and just tell us a bit about you growing up and your kind of surroundings and stuff when you're coming up then? Yeah. Yeah, grew up in a, in a place called Duckingfield, which is uh, about... Probably say about four, four or five miles from Manchester City Centre, and um, you know, my mum and dad, we weren't, we weren't well off, but we weren't rich, or you know, just say we were a normal family, if you like. Um, mm. Loved football, would play it all the time. Did you know? Didn't really start playing till I was seven, but I had an older brother who, you know, we used to kick lumps out of each other, and <laughs> I'm convinced to this day that. That's why I went on and made it in the professional game because I had to deal with an older brother who was four years older than me, kicking me up and down the, the garden. Um, but, you know, I had a fantastic childhood. I'm really appreciative of what my mum and dad sacrificed uh, mm. to, to, to take me to football. Certainly when I was 16 and, you know, um, we, we, we stopped porting that. Um, mm. And just wasn't great at school, wasn't bothered at school, um, mm. liked socialising, couldn't wait for break time and was always on the hunt for a ball. And I remember one time footballs got confiscated. So for quite a long time, we were playing with a tennis ball in the playground. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but back in them days, you didn't have two or three footballs. It was one ball and about 50 kids trying to run after it. Yeah. So, you know, that, that you know, it's, life has changed and some parts of it good, some parts of it bad. But, um, you know, come the summertime, the, 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 the goals would go away and you'd be playing cricket on the field and, yeah. you know, cycling your bike and that kind of freedom when you're cycling your bike in the summer and, you know, all that. I just had, I, I loved when I look back, I had a really, really fortunate childhood that, you know, um, my mum and dad just kind of said, uh, out you go and that were it. Won't we come home till tea time, if you like. Mm. Or you'd bob him for a drink of milk or something. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm trying to do that with my kids now and, you know, make sure that they're staying active and, and things like that as well. Um, and then... You know, football just kind of took hold of me at the age of eight and nine and that were it. I just never stopped playing it and was mm -hmm. always in, you know, the goal scoring charts. And like I said, 
represented my county team and um, there was a lot of resentment towards, there was only a, two of us from our team that got in that and the team that was playing that. So at a young age, I was aware of, you know, jealousy, mm. not just from kids, but more so from parents. And I think it's probably got worse now. Um, mm. If anything, what has got worse is people thinking that the kids have made it at eight and nine. And, mm. yeah, you know, and again, um, all I wanted to do was just play football and enjoy it. And um, I've always kind of stuck by that mantra throughout, even now as a manager. You know, if I'm not enjoying stuff, I'll search for the reasons why. And if it's if it's something that I can't affect, then, um, you know, I'll, I'll move on. I'm, I'm happy enough to move on because life's too short to be unhappy in something that you don't like doing. I think there's a bit of a misconception around, um, you know, people quitting. But like, like you just say there, you know, if, if it's not giving you life or energy anymore, then you know, you just just cut it out and move on. And I think there's a bit of yeah. a stigma around quitting sometimes, but sometimes it's yeah, I think, well, what you've got to do. Yes, well, certainly. I mean, I'd probably go back to my time as manager at Osset and, you know, I had a fantastic probably first year there and things changed behind the scenes and all of a sudden you're not kind of getting on with the people behind the scenes as well as previously and, mm. you know, X, mm. Y and Z and, um, you know, it was just loads of different things that kind of come to, come to the kind of conclusion that I can't do any more. Mm. So if you can't do any more sometimes, it's, I think that's brave, holding your yeah. hands up and, you know, saying, you know, I could have just stayed there and, you know, just ride it out, but it's not me. If, you know, I'll I'll give 100% in everything that I do and sacrifice a lot of time with my family. And at the time, I just thought, it's not worth the, the sacrifice of my family at the minute. I'm not getting enough back in certain areas for me to, to do that. So, mm. you know, I came to that conclusion and, you know, it is what it is. You know, I did a documentary on it um, on Saturday. I was doing a bit of filming for one on Saturday regarding football as well. Again, mm. everybody's talking about the mental health side of it. You know, you know the passing of young Jeremy Whiston at, uh, at Manchester City at the age of 18. Mm. How many stories are we hearing about this? But, yeah. You know, you're talking about City. I'm not. It's not just you know. Well, I won't even just say that club's name, but all the other clubs. You're talking about selling players for fifty million, and they can't put aside. Say, would it even be a hundred grand a year mm. for a yeah. full-time member of staff to check players and the well-being of when they've been released at the age of eighteen or sixteen or seven or even nineteen or twenty or just in general? Yeah. Mm. are we actually bothered about each other anymore that's my question yeah i don't think people realize that the, the mental side of sport is a massive massive part of it it's um huge yeah there's um w there were a bit of a i, I listened to a, a podcast last week and it were a chap called damien hughes um, yeah are you, are you familiar with him welsh yeah no i'm not 
Is a, is a, well, is I've a, got loads of time on my hands at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, let's talk about it. Funnily enough, we've actually got him as a guest already lined up, so that's right. that's a good one. He's, he's, a, he's a sports um, psychologist, and he, right. he, he, worked, he actually got hired by um, Sir Alex Ferguson right. to, work, to work with Man United. And uh, he, he ran a bit of a study in, in the changing room, and... He asked all the players, "How big a how big a part is the mental part of your game compared to the physical?" And the results he got was, the players actually said seventy percent of their whole game was based on the mental side of it, yeah, as, as opposed to thirty percent of the you know the actual physical playing side, um, yeah. And then he brought up the point of. Well, if that's a, if that's the case, then why why are you focusing ninety percent on your physical training and only working ten percent of your your mental strength? He said that's something that needs to be looked at. And mental thought, resilience. Yeah, absolutely. Huge. I thought, I thought that was quite Huge. interesting. Yeah, it is because again, you know, I'm a you know to to get to anywhere in life, you have to have mental resilience. You know, if we take it back to young kids and and players and and people in general, how do you how do you learn that? Not everybody learns it, but you take it into a sporting environment, and and mm. I'll put you in the situation of um, you've signed for your hometown club, you, you've got a season ticket at nine years old, you stay there till sixteen years old, and then you get told we're not going to take you on. Um, but good luck. Mm. Where's the mental resilience training coming in? Mm. I've been I've been put down. How do I get back up? And I was fortunate because when I was younger, I got, you know, um, I, I was part of my county team, and at the age of twelve or thirteen, I got told I was too small after playing a couple of years in the county team and mm. scoring a lot of goals. Mm. Um, so I had to deal with that and, and yeah. I remember crying not too proud to say I cried remember my mum brought me 101 Screamers videos and I watched it and <laughs> I thought this ain't happening to me again and I just went about my football and played and yeah. just you know on on Tuesday nights um, the guy across the road used to take me and my brother to play in a five-a-side league against men mm-hmm. and you know I was stick thin I just wanted to play football and I got kicked about and I just learned the game and, yeah. you know, so I found a pathway. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, and, you know, we're, we're all on this, certainly in football and in life, you're on a train track and sometimes it can get derailed, but people don't have the right tools to get back on the train track yeah. and aim towards that destination. The destination can change. How mm. do you get back on? It's very, very tough. And I think in the sporting industry, it really is a dog-eat-dog world. And you talk about resentment in football. Um, people don't talk about it a lot, but it's there. Yeah. You know, people don't want others to do well. And, you know, people hoping that he doesn't play well so that I'll get an opportunity. And it's natural. It's just, you know, a kill-or-be-killed kind of yeah. environment. Survival of the fittest, yeah. Survival of the fittest, Um but again, you know, taking it back to what you're saying there, your mental resilience and your mental strength, that's why the top players are in the Premier League because I'm telling you now, you know, 
give a anyone can give a pass away in front of nobody and then go and get on the ball again. But when you give a ball away in front of thousands and you hear a crowd go, oh, and you, are you going to go and get on it again? Mm. They don't. Mm. They don't hear crowds. They don't. You know, they think about a negative scenario for a, not even a millisecond. It's gone. Yeah, you know, mm. and they have the, the you know the the kind of ability as well, but it's a makeup of everything to be a top top player. It's, you can't just have you know the ability. You have to have mental resilience. You have yeah. to have you know a physical um, all round game, not just about that. You, you touches of the ball. Can you get up and down the pitch? Mm. But how does that affect you with your mental side of it? Oh, I'm mm. feeling a bit leggy today get through it you know do, yeah. how many mm. times you hear players you know say oh session was hard on Thursday felt a bit tired today no that's mentally weak isn't it yeah you need mm. to learn you know that you, you know if you're feeling that way you've got to train your body to not feel that way and, and kind of you know fight through it but again where does that come from? Does it come from your upbringing? Does it come from the books you read? Does it come from the things you watch on the telly? Does it come from your manager? Does it come from your previous managers? Yeah. Again, not a lot out there. Yeah. So I think um, going, touching on the, on the sacrifices there, and obviously talking about um, like your younger younger years, like what what sacrifices did you make? as you got to the age of thinking, I'm going to be a professional here? I, I, I haven't got any friends from high school. None. Um, they all, you know, whether they went out drinking or whether they went to a college or whatever. As soon as I signed uh, my two-year YTS with, with Stockport, I didn't have time to go out drinking and kind yeah. of socialise. I had a one-track mind. I wanted to be a professional footballer. And I lived for going into training every morning as a scholar. You know, we used to have to crack this puddle of ice to wash boots. Um, but I loved it. Yeah. yeah. What, age, what age were you there, Welsh? What, what? 16 to 18. So 16. at the time, so pretty much what happens now is they'll sign like a scholarship at say a Man U or a, a Man City and you'll get two years. And at the time I got two years YTSU's training scheme at, at Stockport and um, you know um, it was just a fantastic uh, grounding in life as well that you know what I, the, the way that I saw it was the harder you work the more rewards you will get and to be fair the people like Craig Madden who was the youth team coach at the time Nigel Dealey uh, even the first team manager Andy Kilner, they were showing you that if you work hard, you'll get rewards. And there were players in our—I uh, mean, we had a really, really good team at the time. We got the furthest the tip the, the club had ever got in the in the FA Youth Cup to the fifth round, um, and we got beat by Liverpool, funnily enough. Um, but um, you know, some of the players were getting opportunities in the first team, like Sir Rob Clare played in at the age of seventeen and. You know, so we were all getting these opportunities playing in the reserves at the age of 16. And, and back then it wasn't like, you know, playing on a training ground like you do now. Mm. You know, I was in the first reserve game um, and we played Blackpool at Blackpool Stadium. And it's like, I've gone literally less than 12 months ago 
playing on a park pitch in the middle of Manchester. Yeah. To and I'll be honest with you, talking about resentment, I'd before I'd signed for Stockport, um, I'd scored twenty twenty one. I'll never forget it was twenty one goals in 10, 10, 11 games for mm. Joylston, right? Yeah. Mm. And I was on the bench, right? Because the manager, the manager's son, played my position. Oh, that every time. If right. I started, I remember I scored a hat trick um, in one game, and one was a diving header in half time. So I scored an hat trick before half time, and one was a diving header. And at half time, he, he said, "Do you not think you could have, you know, do you not think you could have probably brought that down and put someone else in so that they could have scored?" And I was a diving header. I was, it was like, he said, "Yeah, but others need to score." So I was like. All I wanted to do was score goals and, and kind yeah. of win. Yeah, you know, that was just me. So, yeah. you know, kind of going off track a little bit from there, that, that kind of, I don't know, that resentment, um, it's there, you know. And, and at a young age, you, previous to that, well, fast forward 12 months, I'm playing at Blackpool Stadium. Uh, in the reserves and I only got on for 10 minutes but it was unbelievable mm. Mm. know what I mean and it was yeah. again the players that were playing in the league at that time because again when I signed for Stockport they were in the championship mm. they weren't in the conference that they were uh, not, they were one level below the Premier right. League right, so right. <laughs> you know again watching the first team I loved watching the first team yeah. because they'd be playing you know um, I don't know so at the time there was Fulham and it was uh, Louis Sahar, who was at Fulham, and John Tigana was the, the manager, and they had a great team. And, you know, at the time, Stockport were, I think they were second in league at Christmas. Mm. We finished, I think they finished just outside the playoffs, but, you know, it was exciting. And, yeah. mm. you know, I used to love going to watch So we'd play at, at our training ground in the morning, and then we'd all have to get on the minibus to go to the ground. and we'd all have jobs at the ground before the first team playing. It would, you know, you'd be walking in corridor and you'd see, say like Blackburn had been relegated at the time. So Mark Hughes were playing for Blackburn, Graham Soonis was the manager and it, you know, you see, I was a United fan, I'm seeing Mark Hughes in the tunnel yeah. and it was like, you know, so you yeah, and, <laughs> and you're just like, I'm close here. I can, if I work hard, I am close. Yeah. yeah. So, just tell us about when when you first got the move to Stockport. Then, Welsh, how did how did that come about? And and uh, you know what what were you what were you feeling at that point? Uh, well, it's, uh, again, it, it's uh, just taking a chance in in life. Really, like I said, it um, you know I was I was having a good time with my grassroots club and just said to my mum, "Look, I want to be a footballer." So she wrote off letters to all the football league clubs. Yeah, and asked for a trial. Nice. And there was only a couple that came back. Um, and I, funnily enough, I went to Huddersfield and just didn't like the environment. It was very clicky, and um, they invited me back after Christmas. But I, I said to my mum and dad, I didn't want to go back. So there's a prime example of me. If I don't enjoy something, I, I won't do it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I didn't go back. Um, yeah. And then Stockport invited me in, um, and I went in there and played a couple of games and I'll be honest with you, I didn't, I, I wasn't privy to the way 
academy systems work. So, you know, all these kids have been there for 10 years waiting for this day where we got called in to get told that you're getting a two-year YTS. And my reaction was like, all right, yeah, yeah. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And that was my, both mine and my dad's reaction. I'd I'd applied for college, didn't have a clue Mm. what I was doing. Mm. So whether or not I was, I wouldn't say thick, but probably wet behind the ears of what, what life entails, which is hard work. And I, I don't think I could have had a better grounding than actually being in a youth training scheme at Stockport and having to clean boots and make teas and mop floors and wash kit and fold kit, as well as train as hard as I can to, to get an opportunity. Yeah. Sorry, that that drive. So you talk about like, you know, you, you drive to do something like where did that come from your dad or did you just pick that up yourself? Like, was it just a case of, I need, I need to work out of here. Like, um, or was that- my mum and my mum and dad never pushed me, never no. pushed me, never. You know, um, I mean, to be fair, my mum used to do me adding when I started playing professionally because, oh, your body language, you didn't look interested today. <laughs> but I just had this kind of similar to Chris Waddle type body language with my shoulders slumped, and you know, when I was on the ball, I looked energetic, and mm. but when I was off the ball, I, I probably looked, you know knackered or disinterested, <laughs> just my mannerisms, I think. But, you know, they never pushed me. They never said, you know, I see some of these parents at the age of eight, nine and ten. The, the, I call them disco dancers because they're on the sidelines with their fingers, like, <laughs> raving. Oh, I see it. I see it. want the kids to go, do you know yeah. what I mean? So they're like, my mum and dad were never that. Um, but they were always very, very supportive and... Hmm. Um, always there when I needed him as well yeah like I've, I've got a young son and I coach his team at the moment um, yeah but I never put I never pushed him to to play football or anything like because my dad my dad never pushed me and I just picked mm. it up myself so I was like if you want to do it you do it I'm not gonna force you to do it and he's picked it up and he's absolutely football mad and yeah I see every, every week I've got kids, mums and, and, and dads on the sideline, go on, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I just stand there coaching. I don't say a word to him. I'll just let him yeah. get on with it and just play and enjoy it. Like, that's the main thing. But like, yeah, are, are you, are you yeah. the same with your kids? Like, Yeah, yeah without a doubt. I mean, obviously I've got, with, with fours of my academy, I've got 300-odd kids um, across yeah. the five centres. And our philosophy is, you know, we don't want parents shouting on the sidelines. Um, mm. They're not allowed on the pitch, or you know, they have to stand outside the gates, and um, it's entirely up to them. And again, academy sister, you know, the top academies do do that. But I think, you know, <laughs> how do you learn in life? It's not from somebody telling you what to do; it's from your experience. Mm. You need to make mistakes but not be yeah. fearful of making mistakes. You know, yeah. the best players in the world have made the most mistakes. Mm. And when you actually look at that and you think, well, what it's because they've practiced and they've, they're not scared to make a mistake. Mm. If you're fearful of making a mistake in football, then you're not going to progress. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, could could you just tell us one of your um, kind of biggest failures in in your career, Welsh, and, and just tell us kind of the mindset you had to take on to to move on past it. Um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I didn't. Uh, you're gonna laugh at this, but I didn't have any failures in my career. Mm. I'd probably have to. And, and people, so even if some fans saw this, go, well, what about this? So, but my career wasn't a failure because I, I, I played professional football, you know, so I was very, very lucky. I think what you, you probably, the way I use the terminology on that is, if we're coming from a mental health side, when did you feel the most negative, maybe, mm-hmm. about about yeah. certain a certain situation? or And it was probably... Uh, probably, probably I'd, I'd left uh, Yeovil to go to Carlisle, and um, I was, you know, I'd made 120 odd appearances at Yeovil in League One at the time, and I was always, you know, I'd, well, I'd just come off the back of getting one of the Player of the Year awards as well. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I think, I was third in the, in the assists in League One at a team that. You know, we we were bottom at Christmas and everyone had wrote us off and we finished 12th, mm. um, you know, against some top, top teams in the division. So, you know, I made the decision that we were going to move on. We just had our daughter, Lily, and um, I got sold a dream that, you know, this is the way it's going to be at Carlisle, blah, blah, blah. And I, it just wasn't working. And I, I, I remember... You know, I'd, I'd come to blows with a manager, which it wasn't me really. That you know, I, I am outspoken, but I'm always there with a solution of well, you know. And, and to be fair, this probably came from one of the greatest managers I've ever worked for, in Mick McCarthy. He'd mm. never give you a problem. He'd, he'd say, "You will get in my team if you do this." And I just yeah. think sometimes that's what managers aren't is honest enough. And the manager at the time I had, he just wasn't honest, honest enough with the situation. And, mm. you know, you're in and out of the team. And then I tore my car and then I didn't come back till just after Christmas. And then, you know, then the following year, played all pre-season. No, in fact, sorry, Bradford had come in for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd gone to, to meet Phil Parkinson at Valley Parade and... I'd agreed a deal and then they wouldn't let me go. Um, and that deal fell through. And then I came back for pre-season and played all pre-season. Every game, I, was, I think I scored five pre-season, was one of the top scorers. First game comes and he just sat me on the bench right. and I didn't play. Hmm. And then three weeks later, um, you know, I had a chat with him and it, it wasn't a great chat. Um, a lot of swear words. <laughs> we said because he, he again um, priced me well bet not priced me out of a move but Crawley came in uh, Richie Barker was manager there at the time and they wouldn't let me go um, yeah. and it was just frust- it was frustrating more than anything because I've never been in that situation mm. where you know you, you can't play yeah so you're training yeah. all week for nothing yeah and even to the point of I'm sat on the bench in League One and I know I'm not going to play. Mm. So I, it was a negative mindset I was in. But do you know what I did with that is 
I made sure that I did my running every single time after training or every single time after a game because I just thought when I get my opportunity, I'm going to take it. And yeah. fortunately enough, I mean, the club were, weren't in a great position um, around January time. And, I, you know, mm-hmm. one of the players got injured at Horwellshire and I came back in team and, you know, we, we stayed in the division and um, I, I played the last couple of months of the season um, and, and that probably led to me move, you know when I left the club in the summer getting a phone call from Scunthorpe and getting the opportunity in, at Scunthorpe because we played them in in that final two months of the season so if I wouldn't have been doing all that work on my own to make sure I was ready for my opportunity yeah, you know I might not have got that you know that opportunity to sign at Scunthorpe yeah that that just shows really that you know, you you could have just kept your head down and, and sulked, but like you say, you mm. you put the you put the extra graft in after the games, and that that ended up paying dividends for you. So that's yeah. a good message to take for for people listening. Just you just got to keep going, and your, your opportunity will come for you, definitely. Um, yeah. So do you want to tell us about the um, your time in, in the Premier League then, Welsh? Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot, lot of people uh, looking forward I mean, to that part. You're talking about uh, people there. Uh, you know, you're talking about kids and that. Yeah. My my little girls have just got into football now. Um, so my seven-year-old just come downstairs with a magazine showing me Man City women lifting the FA Cup trophy. Oh, nice. So, are they yeah. into it? Are they into it then? Your, your, uh, your yeah, they girls? just started playing in the summer and... Yeah. I've not forced them at all. They no. just, you know, um, I don't know, they just kind of got into it. They did the Zoom class with us tonight. Um, so, yeah, I, I, as long as they're active, I'm not fussed. I just don't want my kids playing on a PlayStation and, yeah. you know, not being active, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, could could you just tell us a bit about, about the time then... When when you got your move to the Premier League, Welsh? Uh, yeah, I was. Well, I didn't get a move to the Premier League. Um, Sunderland were in the Championship at the time, so right. um, again, probably looking at mental resilience. <laughs> in the summer, uh, I had a year left on my contract, and Sammy McElroy, who was the manager at Stockport at the time, said, "Look, uh, we've agreed a deal." With uh, for you to go to Blackburn, who had been promoted to the Premier League, mm. Soonest was the manager. Um, you need to go get your stuff, go to uh, training um, at Blackburn, um, and you know everything's kind of agreed. So drove to Blackburn the next day, trained, and I mean, you know they just signed Andy Cole at the time. He was like my hero. I was like. I was in the same group as him nice. in training and I was like, can't leave nice. Sandy. <laughs> uh, you know, so he's like a real big, big thing. Um, mm. Trained, you know, did well in training and, you know, enjoyed it. And then there was like a squad list for them going on the pre-season tour to Germany. Um, but I wanted in the squad list. And so I called my agent up and I said, look, um, has everything been agreed? Because, you know, I'm not... But the deal fell through due to money or something. Mm. Something had happened, so I actually had to go back to Stockport 
So it, it, it literally been announced on Sky Sports News that I was signing for Blackburn. Mm. By the time I went back to mm. Stockport, it was just coming out on Sky Sports News saying I was going Blackburn and I was already back at Stockport. Oh, God. So it was like, you know what I mean? It was yeah. really, really yeah. tough to take. But again, you know, that was the card. They were the cards that were dealt and I just got on with it and don't fucking matter, does it? I'm sorry, yeah. I shouldn't have spoke, but it Oh, no, matter, you're right. It? No, it's cool. You know, <laughs> you know, that's life. Things happen in life. So, you know, just um, just got on with it. And, uh, you know, Sammy just said, he was great to me, to be fair. And he just said, look, come back and um, just get your head down and just work hard. And that's all I did. And then, funnily enough, we played uh, Hull City away at uh, the KC. And the game actually ended up nil-nil, but, uh, you know, I was I, I was just in the zone. There were just times that I just knew I was on fire, and hmm. even though the game ended nil nil, hmm. every time I got the ball, the fullback won't get near me. And you know, they just signed at the time Alton Thelwell from Tottenham Hotspur, who was a young right back, and he couldn't get anywhere near me. And Sunderland came to watch me that game, hmm. but that was the third yeah. game they'd come to watch me, and they made the decision that you know they were going to get me in so obviously I went up there and again that wasn't a clear cut signing for the football club Mick McCarthy said look come up and train mm. so I had to go up I trained first day and after the first day he said look we're signing you yeah. so you know obviously he was buzzing and um, you know that season we won we won the championship and got promoted to the Premier League and you know, played. I, I didn't play a lot that season, but I played in a lot of big games, which was funny because, you know, it showed that Mick had a bit of trust in me as well. Because, uh, you know, I made. Uh, I played in the the game that we got promoted uh, against Leicester City at home. Um, we we were one 0 down, and then I set up the equaliser for Marcus Stewart, and you know, just to be on that pitch at the time. I remember. Mm. Um, you know, coming off in front of 49,000 and they're just, you know, clapping, you know, standing ovation and, you know, then the final whistle goes and it was emotional and if you ever see pictures of it, you've got, it's got big micking tears and mm. it was just an incredible feeling and, um, mm. you know, I'm not going to stand here and say that I played every single game that season but nor did any player in that group. He, he utilised his squad very, very well. Mm. Um, and mm. we, we, were a, we were a squad, we were a team. And, you know, it's just unfortunate that, you know, when we did get promoted to the Premier League, the, the club didn't have money to invest in the squad. Which mm. was good, because then it meant I got to play, really. And, um, <laughs> you know, I got 16 appearances yeah. in the Premier League and, you know, certainly that that pre-season we had a long pre-season, which was we went we, we toured the USA, and it was. I remember at the time, and I mean, to be fair, I've been on some decent tours with Stockport to China and mm. um, you know Finland and places like that, but it just felt tiring. Um, but I, I was loving it, you know, and and again pre-season, I felt fit, I felt sharp. Um, and and luckily, uh, you know, luckily enough, I remember we played A's at Alkmaar and Louis Van Aar with a manager there and, yeah. you know, just loads of great experiences. Yeah. I mean, uh, talk about some of the football that you see over your career. We played A's at Alkmaar and 
well, I remember when Van Aal came to United, but uh, and then I was, you know the way that United finished off playing, Alkmaar were exactly the same. They passed us to death. I swear to God, chasing the ball around for ninety minutes. The game ended up nil nil. They just went sideways and backwards. <laughs> but like when you're in the when you're in the game, you're like, fucking hell, these are absolutely popping us here. Yeah. They, no, I, I, I was it nil nil, and then you come off, you think, well, we've not actually Earls there. Mm. So, you know, it was. Um, mm. But then you know, working that pre-season to get that first starting spot, which I got at home to Charlton, and then set up the first goal against Charlton. We lost three one, but probably to put it in comparison, that pre-season, Charlton signed Darren Bent, and we were favourites to sign Darren Bent. Mm. And they signed him and he scored two that day. Right. Uh, so he was a difference, really. And I think that's what we, that's something we definitely lacked was a, an out and out goal scorer that season. Yeah. W- would you say um, Bentley were one of, the, one of the better players you've played with then? No, we didn't sign him. He went to Charlton. Sorry, he went to Charlton, right? Yeah, he went to yeah. Charlton. Yeah, no, he didn't sign for Sunderland until. Must have been four or five years after that, right. Something like right, three, yeah. four years. Yeah. Like that. While we're on that, well, shit. Who, who, who would you say is one of the one of the best players you've ever played against? Um, well, it's got to be Ronaldo. Um, yeah. you know, he's <laughs> you can't beat that really, can you? Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, it's funny though because in the game, I mean, every now and again I watch it back. Um, just you know, it's it's good to look back as well because uh, again, there's yeah, I take great pride in in what I've achieved in my career. And, um, but in the game, he didn't really he didn't really do much. But he is, uh, and but probably that shows that even if you he's, he's you know his class is one of the greatest of all time now, no doubt about it. But you can't play well every game, and I think sometimes you got to accept that you can work hard, but yeah. Can't yeah. play well every game, but if you look at that now, he wouldn't have accepted that performance the way he is now because he, he expects to score every game. Mm. But Rooney was definitely a standout that day. Um, yeah, Paul Scholes was outstanding. I got his shirt from that game. Did you? Um, nice. You know, he was he was just on yeah. a different level. Um, but even Van der Sar, his goalkeeper, I mean. I remember the ball came out from a corner and I ran to the edge of the box to get it and turn. I went to turn in the box and he was at the bottom of my feet and just, you know, took the ball off my feet. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, just the thought process, decision-making and, you know, uh, but, you know, it's great. There's so many, I mean, uh, what was his name now? Uh, ben Fica, he's Portuguese international. Rui, Rui Costa. Oh, yeah. yeah. Played, played Benfica and he was mm. just different level as well. Um, mm. There was, uh, you might not remember him, you might be too young, but there was uh, Cuatemar Blanco, uh, right. Mexican, who uh, from the 1994 World Cup, he was the guy who um, had the ball in between his two feet and jumped over two players with it in between. All oh, right, yeah, that's a bit of an iconic. Yeah, so I mean, he was yeah. playing. We play. I was playing against. He played for Chicago, and obviously in the MLS with with Toronto, mm. we played Chicago a couple of times. And he would, even at the age of forty, he, 
he was controlling games. Yeah. Mm. Just net, you know, so there there are uh, you know, been fortunate enough to to play against so many great players over mm. over the years. It's uh, you know to even share a picture and people yeah. don't get close sometimes to this or yeah um, I'm going to ask you because you mentioned there well she said you know it's, it's it's great to be able to look back on your career now uh, I'm just kind of curious it, in the moment you know when you you're actually yeah. playing in the moment do you kind of take it in right no. there and then no no, no and, and that's probably a little bit of a my mum always used to say to me, um, you know, you don't enjoy yourself enough, but I was always like, head down, next mm. game, head down, next game. and mm. I don't know. I mean, you watch some of these documentaries, You watch, if you've seen the Ronaldo one. and Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it sounds silly, but I, I think to be fair, probably what would have helped, uh, probably what would have helped me would have been having kids a little earlier to take my mind off stuff when I come home. Because, mm. um, yeah, can be quite a lonely world. Uh, you know, I was I was listening to uh, a guy called Steve Pope the other day, and and I can relate to this. And this is another side of game. Um, players getting addicted to online gaming, right? Because you you know you go you wake up, and I used to be one at first in it training. Um, you know, um, you you train. You do your weights after training, then you you know sometimes I'd go out and practice whatever I felt I needed to work on. Uh, you know, do your rehab, prehab, all that sort of stuff. You'd be home by like two, three o'clock. Some players are home by half one, one o'clock. Um, you'd have a sleeping afternoon, then you you know you got no ties, you got no kids, so you can do what you want. So um, I got into you know my PlayStation and. I was addicted to it badly. Um, oh, yeah. I had to sell it in the end. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. This was, but this was even before on like, like it just literally come out that you could play Pro Evolution Soccer <laughs> online. Yeah. You had to have an Ethernet cable and because it wouldn't want really Wi-Fi. But but yeah. Um, yeah. I would addicted to it so in the end I sold it but it's it's massive now I was listening to the guy Steve Pope and he was saying that he's dealing with quite a lot of players now that especially now during lockdown they're, they're not going into training because they're staying up to like two, three, four, five in the morning mm. so again that's another big side of the mental health side it is you know I didn't switch off as, as well as what I could have done mm. because you know what he's trying to say is when you're an elite athlete, you have a bit of a compulsive nature. Yeah. You know, and a bit of a... a addictive bit, personality. A, sort addictive of OCD. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. And, and he, you know, he feels that that's a lot of the reason why they turn to gambling and they turn yeah. to things like that is because it's a, they, they, they're quite habitual in, what the, in, in yeah. the, the, the mindset. Mm. It, it's funny you mentioned that because I'd, I'd actually prepared a bit of a question around. Uh, have, have you seen the documentary uh, "The Last Dance" on, yeah, on yeah. Netflix? Yeah, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, I thought it was brilliant. A great yeah. insight to you know one of the greatest basketball teams, and you know certainly one of the greatest players, uh, players that have uh, yeah. played the game and. Mm. Um, 
uh, again, it's it's tough in it because you can do anything with cameras to make things look good or bad. But the be- best thing I thought about that, I thought it was very. I don't think it painted a picture in a bad way. I thought it told a story. Mm. Yeah. You know, Scotty mm. Pippin. There were good things about him. There were bad things about him. And yeah, and you know, uh, Dennis Rodman when he uh, yeah you know tra- traveling to I think it was Vegas before. Yeah, um, yeah. Night before a game or something yeah. with strippers and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Every player's different though, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've played with players that can do without sleeping and drinking and and they can play, whereas others, you know, have to be very, very, you know, head down and this is the way I'm going to work. So, but yeah, I thought it was a great doc. I mean, I love all the documentaries. There's a lot that I like a lot of the... Uh, American football ones so there's uh, the quarterback ones from high school and things like that just to yeah. see the you yeah. know their mindsets and when you look at it over here we, you know they're playing in front of big crowds at those ages and the college football mm. and stuff yeah they're full of yeah, it's at that stage, yeah well, it? they invest in it don't they yeah you know they really do invest in it and we're still struggling to get pitches marked out and grass cut on, on grassroots pitches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just just um mm. going back to that that documentary, The Last Dance, it, Mike Michael um Michael Jordan himself, he actually there's a bit of a quote from it and it says um he, he doesn't have a gambling problem, he's got a competitiveness problem. Yeah. And that that's what we were talking about. No, just then. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, Definitely. Would you say that that's what you kind of suffered with? Then? Yeah, yeah, hundred mm. uh, percent. You know, you mm. you don't want to lose, and if you do lose, you want to. My competitive nature is: if I lose a game, I want to get straight back on straight away. So yeah. you mm. know, you can see why a lot of them gamble because they lose money. Well, I'm going to get that money back. Don't mm. matter. I'm going to get it back. Then they lose it again. Don't matter. I'm getting it back and. Before you know it, you know they've lost all the money, or you know that same with the online gaming. Lose a game on FIFA, I'm gonna have another game. Yeah. Then you win that game, and it's like well, I've won that two nil, but I want to win it three nil. And then you win the next one three one. Well, yeah, but I've, I've conceded. I need to win it, and and that's the way you, your mind works. Is you're constantly yeah. striving to be better than what you were. Mm which yeah. I'm not going to lie, I do yeah. miss that side of it. Yeah. Um, I think I think that can be taken into to all things in life, though, not just like competitive to, towards like playing video games. Because I play video games now, but it's like even in life, just, you know, like yesterday I f- fucked up a cheese sandwich or whatever at work, and it's like, oh, I want to go in and I want to have a good day today. Well, no mistakes, you know, I've not fucked up a guy's order or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, competitiveness in life, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I think there are good sides to competitiveness, and there are obviously the bad side, which, uh, you know, can be effectiveness yeah. of, of all things. But I think yeah. the good side of it is uh, can be good for, as a manager, can be good for your players when they turn up on a Saturday and you're like, Come on, guys! You know you don't have to get them up for the game because they're already there. They're already ready, and you know I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. like that for you know I'm like that any all the time, ready for yeah. well, I'm ready to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's just yeah, it's a mad mad side is uh, addictiveness and stuff like that. So mm. yeah, 
I think obviously nurture, nurture it in, in the in the right manner and I think it's very powerful. Um yeah. you know, side. But like I say you've just got to uh yeah, keep tabs on it. Um so yeah, well she just let let's speak about your um your business then and uh, just tell us a bit about your your business that you've got. Um yeah, so obviously Forza Football Academies just basically, um, I mean, there's a lot of people out there, you know, um, doing similar things where they say it's a cross between um, grassroots and or, or a bridge between grassroots and academies. And I'd probably say that's that that be the best way to describe it. But all our kids that are with us, they all continue to play for the grassroots team on a Sunday or a Saturday. Uh, what what we offer is, I mean, I'm massively into ball mastery and getting as many touches of the ball as we can. And also, uh, I've got another company called 3v3 Soccer UK, which is, we host 3v3 tournaments where, and I mean, I've approached the FA about this as well, about bringing it in under 60s. Because um, in this country, we're very quick. Kids get playing football. 5v5 you know then it's 7v7 and you know we know that they can score goals but why 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 not mix it up why not master dribbling or you know why not mm-hmm. master because 3v3 lends itself to everything basically you know they get more touches of a ball they get more opportunities uh, they get more chances to take someone on or to tackle someone or to have a shot or to block a shot or to save a goal or to you know, so again, our whole kind of academy system is centred around three v three and getting touches of a football as well, um, and just giving the kids the confidence to take back to the grassroots teams and and uh, you know and enjoy the football. I probably think the problem we have is that you see quite you see the kids progress and develop so quickly with what we offer. Um, that's when the academies come knocking and yeah. You know, you like, you know, just probably wait till the 13 or 14. Oh, yeah, but you might never get this opportunity again. But, mm. you know, it's six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and 11. You know, if you're good enough, you'll make it. At the age of six, seven, eight, nine, mm. ten, eleven, it's a hell of a long way. And, yeah. you know, I'm not convinced a lot of the coaching happens at these academies either. I just think it's more of a pressurised environment, which... You know, kids don't need to be in a pressurised environment. And people might say, oh, but they'll get used to it. Yeah, but, you know, you don't need to be in a pressurised environment six years after you've come out of your mum. No, no, Mm. definitely not. Yeah. You know, well, you don't, do you? No. Even at the age of 10, could you imagine someone saying to you at 10, here's your review, or even seven, you kick it really good with your left foot. (laughs) But you're right, but you need to work on it. Mm. Yeah, all right, yeah. What does that mean? Kids don't take that on board. Ah, uh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right there. You know, you know, say so, uh, say Man United come in and try, you know, they want to take one of your kids away. Well, sh- do you have a conversation with the parents or do you just say, look, yeah, I, you know, I'm happy for him to go? No, no, I mean, it's up to them. Obviously, if, if they ask my advice, I'll give it them and, if I feel it's, you know, it's it's not up to me, is it? It's, uh, it's up to them as parents, and all I can do is give my 
experience. Um, I'm not. I'm not. It's not like I'm trying to hold them from these opportunities, but you know, it's just it's difficult sometimes, isn't it? Because these parents nowadays, it's not committing to one night a week. You know, they're committing to four, four sometimes five days a week. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids are in. You know, the kids are training at like half four, five o'clock. They're having to come out of school early. But say if you're a kid from Yorkshire going to United or City, you ain't getting home till half eight, nine o'clock, mate, mm. at the age of seven, mm. eight, nine or ten or whatever it is. And as much as I didn't like school, I believe you still have to go through the process of finding yourself at school yeah. and and yeah. that as well. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. We've got um, a little thing about uh, leadership here. So what's your definition of a great leader? And uh, give an example of a great leader you've come across in your own life. There's a guy, oh, uh, there's a guy called Steve Salis who uh, is doing a lot at the minute. In uh, he, he used to be a head teacher and then he became an academy manager or director or something. I think it might have been Brighton or somewhere. But he was on. He, he gave a talk on the A license that I was doing, and um, I loved what he said because he said uh, society has changed. Um, um, when you look at football management, the reason why Klopp is now so more much success, more successful than uh, Mourinho is because Klopp leads through love, and Mourinho leads through fear. Yeah. And when I look back to Mick McCarthy, he led through love. Everyone will look at him and think you fear him, because you, but he led through love, no doubt about it. And and what I mean by that is he cared about you. Yeah. You know, you're talking about he was the manager of Republic of Ireland. If I went down for breakfast on an away trip, he'd be sat reading the Times or something. Well, should you come and have a sit down and you know, he'd invite you over. He wouldn't sit on his own. You know, mm-hmm. and just tiny little things like that, taking an interest. And, um, you know, I'd be, f- for me, forever grateful for, for what he'd done for my career. Mm-hmm. And certainly now in the management side of it, I've, I know I've still got a lot to learn, but I hope that shows in, in my management style that I care for my players and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I only want what's best for them and kind of lead through that, that side of it of you know love what you're doing but also you know love those that you're working with in a strange sort of way yeah because if you have that togetherness you'll have success um if you if you have that resentment and that fear of whether it's losing or fear of being not in the team or you know it's only a negative mindset and i think that's what Mourinho creates is that fear of you know, now it's 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 changed, yeah. and I think it showed yeah. it United with what he did at United. Mm. Yeah, well, I guess that's that's now a, a good time just just to tell the people that don't know that you are actually my my football manager at the <laughs> moment. Um, yeah, <laughs> at Bury yeah. AFC. Yeah, and, uh, and 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 I can vouch for that, Welsh. You you know you like say you're leading leading with love and yeah you are one of those people that you know you'll give us a call after training or you'll you know after after yeah. the game and we'll talk through what what went right and what went wrong and how we can try to improve 
Yeah. Uh, I think that, that goes a long way with, with a player, speaking yeah. from a player's point of view. Um, yeah. So would you say you that's what you kind of picked up from your own experience and, and just put it into your own career now then? Yeah, I like I like I like the players to think I well to know I care about them really, you know, and um, you know I'm not just doing it for the sake of doing it. I actually, you know, how are you feeling or you know is everything all right and mm. did you enjoy training tonight and you know be honest, are you enjoying it and and really you know kind of be understand you have to understand how each individual works to get the best for the team. And if you, if you get that collective mindset and that understanding of how each individual works, because listen, you know, even you're at Berry now with me and there's players that have moved on because they've just not been right for the environment, what I want. Mm. And and some people, you know, might see some of these players that have moved on gone, really? But they're not right for the environment that I want. And, mm. you know, let, let you know, we take it back to the last game just before this lockdown. And probably people haven't noticed this, but I've noticed this. Holt, he scores in the 95th minute and he's runs over to the crowd and it's, the, the crowd is all our lads. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the ones that haven't made the match day squad. Mm. And I thought that were a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I clocked that. Um, another thing I clocked in that game while we're there, after the final whistle. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say here, don't you? Yeah, I know what you're going to say. So, obviously, emotions were high. Yeah. And um, they got the, there was a bit of a tussle in, in the middle of the pitch, and I, and I thought, hey, who's that? And it was yourself. And, yeah. uh, you know, obviously, the emotion had spilled over at that point. Yeah. Um, so, just explain kind of what happened there and what you, what you were... What emotion? it on. Yeah. No, just, well, I mean, obviously the referee hadn't helped the situation because we were down to nine men. Um, You know, if truth be told, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think we were, I don't think we forced the issue enough on the evening to win the game, but we certainly didn't deserve to lose a game. Mm. And, you know, when you're down to nine men and it's, you know, the 90th, whatever minute it was, um, the lads were so brave and, and, you know, still taking the game. Fitness levels were through the roof and, you know, to score a goal late on it, you know, emotions got the better of me. I just started kind of fist pumping when the goal went in and probably caught the, the eye of their manager and I don't think you were happy with it, is what it is, you know. Yeah. I'm celebrating a goal. So, obviously, after the final whistle, um, I think it was their manager just came past and, just left a little weight behind, little weight in his fist pump to me to say all the best. So, mm. you know, I just said what I had to say, and you know, he, he was trying to call me all names under the sun as I was walking away. And then his assistant came in and kind of went to grab me. So, you know, we had a little set to, and that were it really. These yeah. things happen, don't they? But yeah. it's not me really. I'm not. No. I don't really want to get involved in stuff like that, but no. I, I, emotions got the better of me, and yeah. um, you know, I was I would have I was just so happy for the lads that they were going to get some out of the game, and uh, they deserve some out of the game. Yeah, mm. definitely. So just just well, obviously while we're on that, then just just tell us a bit about 
your current management role and just a bit about the club then, uh, Birrit, Birrit AFC, for those that don't know. Yeah, well, uh, obviously it's a, it's a big job in terms of the level that we're at because um, everyone thinks that, you know, we're the Chelsea or the Man City of the level that we're at. But the reality of it is that, that we're not. Uh, we don't spend more than what we have. Um, I know what every single player's on. And I don't think it's any more than what a majority of players are on at the level that we're at either. Um, mm. So you have to deal with that. There's expectation with that. There's expectation with the, the amount of fans that we get in their ground. Uh, you know, I think we've sold over two and a half thousand replica shirts. Um, you know, so we've sold every home game out up until the lockdown, which is only 300. But we say only 300 because, you know, we'd have probably trebled or quadrupled that if if uh, if things would have been all right. So, you know, it is a big project and a, at the minute it's frustrating because we've, you know, we're sat, I think we're second in the table, but we've not really had a good run at it in terms of game after game and, you know, injuries, suspensions or things like that. And I know that's football and I'm not crying over spilt milk, but I just, you know, I know there's a meeting tomorrow uh, with the... DCMS and regarding grassroots football and non-league football and there needs to be a decision really on you know mm. let's because why we're not playing at the minute is absolutely ridiculous to be honest yeah. with you mm. um, you know and, and even in the Premier League you're talking about you know six, seven, 60, 75,000 seater stadiums surely you can get you know 20,000 socially distanced people in that stadium yeah. I mean, they're, know, doing, they're doing it in other countries, aren't they? And it's and, and they're doing it successfully. So I, don't, I, I just don't understand why they're not. Well, they did it in Ireland the other night, didn't they? Northern yeah. Ireland. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's frustrating. But again, you know, I feel for the Berry fans because you know they've not had a team to watch now um, for two coming up for two years, and then they have had a team to watch. Then we're back in lockdown again. But even you know the first game, which I know you were. You were on the pitch when we we got the two late goals. It's yeah. you know even the stuff that I've done in my career that's up there with with some of the the, the top top things for me. Um, mm. And even again the other night against Golka, um, I, I just love football for them moments. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? A game a game can be boring for ninety minutes, and then mm. within two minutes. Everyone's talking about that final two minutes, but forgets about the previous ninety. Yeah, um, yeah. so you know it's it, it's uh, that's why we love the game, and you yeah. know the fans are being starved of that at the minute. Because let's face it, you know watching England last night and watching Man City Liverpool the other weeks, it's nothing without the fans. No, you're right. Uh, just just taking it back to that to, um, that first game against Steeton. Um, Obviously, for those that don't know, we were losing 2-1 with, what were they, 15 minutes to go, 2-1 down. Um, we get a penalty in the 90th minute, Tommy Greaves stepping up. Yeah. And then we go get the winner in the what, 94th minute. Yeah, something <laughs> and, something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, and like like you say, um, for me, that was probably the, the best footballing moment I've ever experienced. Yeah, and um, just for the pure emotion and 
passion and and the fans running on the pitch and you yeah. see what it meant to him and, and I just thought that was such a powerful moment and I think um, that gives you an insight into what it will be like as well with us mm. this season is you know um, it's just you know the amount of people that are interested or, or that come and watch us it, we have to have a never say die attitude in everything that we do mm. and um, because people are set up to you know, to spoil the party, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, I want to know. I mean, I'm going. I'm going back here to Toronto. I just want to know what that was like. Like, you know, is there anything yeah. like any interesting stories or anything like you know? Because it's got to be. You've gone from obviously you've got Leicester on there, Sunderland, Blackpool, yeah. and and Toronto is just one that sticks out. As <laughs> like, how did that come about? Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, why? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, my manager at Sunderland at the time was uh, Roy Keane, and um, just there was quite a few of us that weren't involved. And I went on loan to Leicester, came back, and I just said, "Look, I, I want to leave, um, kind of full time. I'd, I'd rather just, you know, move on." Yeah. Uh, and Toronto was one of the teams that Toronto was one of the teams that invited us out there, so I went. Went out there, couldn't agree a deal, came back, but then a deal got agreed and just kind mm. of happened. Um, you know, 21,000 all-seater stadium. And it, I mean, even that were mad. You know, the, the, the noise they used to make. Yeah. You know, yeah. you go on YouTube and you'll see the first ever game. Um, you know, the, the that we scored in and they had seat covers that were like frisbees. It took us 10 minutes to get the game back on again. <laughs> uh, some some great memories there and all over. Uh, you know, you were travelling all over the USA for games. So our first game was away in LA. So we had to travel there on the Thursday and train uh, Thursday, Friday. Then we had the game on the Saturday evening. Um but, I mean, for me, kind of, I think I must have been 23, 24 at the time. So probably went out there a little bit early, if yeah. you like. Um, and even in the nine-month, nine, ten-month period I was there, the kind of travelling started to get a little bit like, do you know what I mean? It was... Yeah, yeah. And then I got the opportunity to come back to the championship with Blackpool, um, which at the time I thought it was a great, opportunity and hindsight I probably should have stayed at Toronto but you know uh, it, is, it is what it is I mean, I came back and um, I, I made the dec- I must have made the decision at the time because I wasn't enjoying it or yeah. you know I, I always had in my head that I was going back I was going out to Toronto to find myself mm. as a player again because I hadn't played that season much under Roy Keane and um, mm. I mean, my grand, my, my grandpa had a lot to do with my career as well, um, and he died uh, in the January, uh. um, and that, I think that hit me hard. And I don't think I was thinking right, if I'm honest. Mm. Yeah, there's 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 a bit of a obviously a recurring theme though, Welsh, throughout your career. You've you've always just gone with what where the passion is, and if and if the passion goes, then then you go. And you need yeah. to be behind it, and that I think that's quite an important lesson for for people to take out. Do you think passion is? Do you think you need it there? Do you think you need passion if you're going to get to the top of 
whatever you yeah I, I, I do in anything that I do if I'm passionate about something I'll make it work mm-hmm. um, and I think you need sacrifice you need passion you need you know a, a resilient mentality as well because you don't always get things right mm. um, yeah. in life trying to you know you wake up and you you map your day out and maybe a first phone call or an email or something that you get throws you off board and you can't do the other three four things that you had on your list for that day mm. you know that those things happen in life don't they you yeah. know it's how you it's how you react to them and yeah um and get on with it really yeah yeah that that's true i think when you say like you it's like you, you set a goal but you've got to kind of expect things to go wrong and you've got to adapt along the way you've just got to be yeah, kind think, of flexible yeah. with how you're going to get there i think adapt, adapting to stuff is the major thing mm. if you if you learn how to adapt in a positive way that doesn't affect others that you know it and it's all you know you can affect it yourself then that's always a good good way to be but you know, others adapt by, I don't know, reacting and blaming others or, mm. you know, mm. reacting and not taking responsibility. Yeah. But if you can look at yourself first and go, well, I've done everything I can here. Yeah. Um, you know, which is, is a good way to look at it, really. Yeah. Right, and I think we'll, uh, coming up to the end there, Parth, it's been a, been a good, interesting chat, definitely. Uh, yeah. Just, just a couple of little questions, just to finish off on uh, Welsh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll end it there. But just, just give us a, give us a fact about you that that most people won't know. Then, if if you could, fact about me that most people won't know. Mm. I think I wear me out on my sleeve or with everything, so I think most people will know. What... Yeah, um, I, I don't. You know. can't get much of a fairer answer than that. To be fair, <laughs> you're, yeah, you're I don't, I don't think I really. You're an open book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think I really hide stuff, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it's a tough one, that one, isn't it? Mm. What's everyone else been saying? Oh, we've had. Uh, there's been some random ones. There's like people saying, uh, I, "I can, I can speak three different languages," and there's been. Uh, well, now you're just showing me up, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, yeah, you, you're being well, a bit, a bit yeah, let us me, down there, will you? Yeah. Ask <laughs> me again, then. Yeah. <laughs> So, th- th- just the last one then. If if you had the power to invite anyone into this Zoom chat with us right now, who would it be and why? And this can be past or present. Can you invite God or Jesus? If that's what you believe in, well, sure, absolutely. Get them in. Yeah, I would then, yeah. I yeah? would. Would you? Yeah, yeah I would, yeah. Right. Is it, well... Yeah. Again, going back to your point before, maybe this is something people don't know about me. You know, I'm a, um, I'm a devout Catholic and I go oh, to yeah. church every Sunday, yeah. Right. But well, you're not as open as you first thought because I didn't know yeah. that. They're all <laughs> shut. Right, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. it. My faith has always been a big part of right. my career as well. Oh, okay. So cool. maybe that was a good one, yeah. There you go. Yeah. We got yeah. there, see, see, I never think yeah. of stuff like that because... Yeah. You know, where where I grew up, you know, being a Catholic and going to church and that was normal and mm. same mm. with mum and dad because they're all from Scotland and, yeah. you know, you're either 
Catholic or you Protestant up there. So. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's a whole different conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. There we go. Right, all nice. right. Well, yeah. Well, uh, like I say, it's been a it's been a pleasure, Welsh, and um, thanks yeah. for thanks for joining us, mate. And oh, uh, good luck with it, guys. Yeah, yeah thank all, you. All the best, I look mate. Forward to the edit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, we'll see you soon. All right. Yeah, see you I'll later. Get for a coffee as well. Yeah, yes. do it. Yeah, yeah. Where is it? Just in the centre of Halifax. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's a nice spot, Welsh. I spend most of my time there, to be fair. Every day. Could be my <laughs> Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah support, small, su- support small businesses, Welsh. Come on. Yeah. Better than well, Starbucks. The thing is, I'll definitely come and spend my day there one yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully it's soon anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's me too. I do as well. Yeah. Yeah. Come. Getting bored. Can you not do drive throughs or anything or takeouts? We are See, doing, can... yeah, we're doing takeout at the moment, but it's oh, not so as you busy, are open it? then? Yeah, but it's not as busy. I'm just doing it on my own. Normally, I've got like three or four staff members in with me, but yeah, because it's not as busy, I'm just doing it on my own. And it's spending most of the day just stood there on my own talking to myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, well, that, that's always one of my things. I, I, I once looked into getting a little tuk tuk with a uh, sell it, you know, just uh. Yeah. Plant myself outside a train station selling coffee. Yeah. Oh, it's a brilliant You'd be good idea. at that. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> That's I don't dream. Really... No, I'd love, to, I'd love to have a coffee shop or something. It's always something I thought it'd be. I've got, I love talking about passion. I love coffee. Yeah. You're talking to the right guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you are. Yeah. Mr. Coffee himself. Uh. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Right. Right. No worries. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Good luck with it all. Nice one, yeah. pal. See you soon. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to another inspiring self made story. And we hope you enjoyed the show. We would be very grateful if you could kindly leave us a review, as it will help us impact a wider audience. You can do this on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you want to reach out on the socials, find us across all platforms using at the Self Made Minds Podcast. See you next time and happy success making. <laughs>